This is Jeff Orge, your host for the Lead On Podcast. I'm the president of Gateway Seminary. It's my pleasure to talk with you each week about practical issues related to ministry leadership, trying to bore down into some of the details of what it takes to provide effective leadership to churches and ministry organizations today. On the podcast, we like to talk about practical things that uh, make a real difference in how we work day to day. And so this week and next week, I'd like to talk with you about the issue of time management for leaders. Now, when I first started teaching about this, I took the wrong approach. I started out by teaching on uh, various time uh, saving skills and time use programs or projects or methods And I discovered pretty quickly that uh, I wasn't solving the real issues that were causing people to struggle with time management. So I took a giant step back and and started over, recreated the entire methodology, if you will, of how I teach on this subject, and started at what might seem like an unusual place when it comes to dealing with time management. And that is, I started by developing a theology of time. Now, a long time ago, um, in a seminary classroom, I learned this important principle, your theology should inform your work. And uh, in the area of time management, that certainly is the case. We have to understand what we believe about time and then let those beliefs start informing us about how we're going to use time. Now, in a short podcast, there's not time to develop a full theology of anything, really, much less a full theology of time. But I'd like to give you some core statements, if you will, five of them, that have been foundational for me to help me understand a theology of time or what I believe about time, or more importantly, what I should believe about time as it informs my decisions about how to use time more effectively. So let's look into the Bible and discover some simple statements about uh, a theology of time. The first one is this, God invented time and called it good. In in Genesis chapter 1, verses 3 to 5, the Bible says, Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. There was evening and there was morning one day. And then at the end of Genesis in chapter 1 verse 31, the Bible says, God saw all that he had made and it was very good indeed. Evening came and then morning, the sixth day. So in the beginning, God created time. He separated the light from the darkness and put the universe into motion in such a way that time could be demarcated and kept. And then at the end of that uh, creation account, he said that everything he had made was good, including time. Now this means that time is not your enemy. Most of of the comments I hear about time are negative. I don't have enough time. I feel rushed. There's never enough time to get everything done. Um, I wish I had more time. Time seems to be getting away from me. Um, There's just so many negative comments about time that it's important to take a step back and understand that God created time, and he called it good. Therefore, time is not our enemy, and time is not our problem. A second statement is this. God has established the times of our lives. In Psalm 139, 16, the Bible says, Your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. Now this means that God has established the times of our lives and God has placed us at the the appropriate time in history. In other words, 
Uh, you're living at just the right time that God wanted you to live, and you're living in just the right times that God wants you to live. Now, I found this illustrated in a very stark way once when a man uh, came to me and said, Pastor, uh, I was born a hundred years too late. I said, what, what do you mean? He said, well, I don't understand the world I'm living in today, and I, I feel like I, I, I need to live in a world that's a hundred years older than this one. He was uh, dis distraught, really, by the moral condition of our world, by the difficulties that uh, were pressing us on all sides, by the challenges that we were facing. And he simply said, I, I needed to be born in a different time. I don't understand the world I'm living in. Well, I challenged him to understand that he was living in just the right time that God wanted him to live, and perhaps he was living at this crucial time in history so that he could make a difference in these times, not lament that he lived in other times. Now, I found this very interesting because a few years after that conversation, uh, this man retired and moved away from Portland, Oregon, the city where he lived, to a small town in rural Idaho. Uh, he bought a small cabin-like home, and he and his wife relocated there for a simpler life, a quieter life, really a reclusive life, if you will. Well, it wasn't very long after that, just really a few weeks, that he called me and said, Hey, listen, uh, I need to know if you can help me with something. Uh, what's that? Well, I, I want to help start a church in our community because um, there's really no church here that's reaching people in the in this area, there's really no church that's meeting the needs of the people here. And uh, having been a part of a church plant, you know, back in Portland with you, I just think that we need to start a church here. And I kind of chuckled to myself because even though he wanted to live in a different time, he recognized that he had a responsibility uh, to do ministry and reach people in the times in which he was living. And even though he went to a reclusive place and tried to hide out, uh, God just kept stirring up within him something that had to be done about the condition of the world in which he was living. So God has established the times of our lives. You were born at just the right time. Uh, you weren't born 100 years too late. Uh, you're in the place, in the time and place that God wants you to be. And it's your responsibility to learn how to make a difference in the times in which you're living, not lament or wish for some other time. Well, here's the third statement. God's plan for people includes appropriate timing. Now, in Galatians 4.4, the Bible says this about Jesus. When the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Now, that phrase of scripture, God sent his son, is in the context of a passage that says, in the fullness of time, in the ripeness of time, uh, are in the ripeness of time. In other words, that phrase, when the time came to completion, means all those things as well. Now, that's an interesting word. I remember, gosh, uh, all the way back in seminary in uh, Greek class, having this verse explained to me. Uh, this word means pregnancy of time, or fullness of time, or ripeness of time, meaning that when a woman is just about ready to give birth, um, it's the time for her baby to come. And that word is used here to describe when Jesus came into the world. In the ripeness or the rightness or in the completion of time, God sent his son just at the right moment. Now, in Acts chapter 17, verse 26, Paul's speaking and he says, From one man he has made every nationality to live over the whole earth and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live. In other words, God himself has determined the times not only in which Jesus came, but the times in which all of us all of us live, and the timing of all of our lives. 
So God sent Jesus at just the right moment in history, and he sent you at just the right moment in history. You have been placed in just the right time and place by God to make a difference for him. Now, this has been challenging for me because uh, over the years, I've often seen uh, the f- into the future of what needed to be done, but I've often struggled with getting the right timing of when that needed to be done, of understanding the ripeness or the fullness of time that God wants to accomplish certain things in my life. But having this confidence that God has placed me in the right time, in the right place, that God has a right timing and a right place for my life and a right timing for the circumstances of my life to unfold has given me greater confidence to relax, if you will, in Him and to trust that God is going to accomplish His purposes in His time. So here's what we've learned so far about a theology of time. God invented time and called it good. God has established the times of our lives. And God's plan for us includes appropriate timing, putting us not only in the right time in history, but also then orchestrating the times of our lives and the timing of our lives so that it's appropriate and good in his eyes. Now, a next part, another statement about a theology of time is God has assigned us the stewardship of time. In Ephesians 5, verses 15 and 16, the Bible says this, Pay careful attention then to how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. Now, an, early, an older translation of this verse says, redeeming the time because the days are evil. And that phrase, redeeming the time, led to some confusion in my mind uh, about what this verse meant. There was a, a lot of time in my life that I thought redeeming the time was simply organizing your time to get the most done. In other words, it was a verse that, that uh, promoted execution, get things done, get the most done possible, get things done as efficiently as possible. But over the time of living, uh, of learning and living as a leader, and also really studying the life of Jesus and looking at how he used time, I came to understand that redeem the time uh, was really better understood as making the most of time. And then to my delight, when the Holman translation came out, they chose that phrase to translate these verses, or these words making the most of the time. Now, what does this mean? Well, God has assigned us the stewardship of time. In other words, he's given us us time as a gift, and our time belongs to him, and we have to use it for his best advantage and to accomplish his best purposes. Now, I think the wise use of time, uh, the making the best use of time in the context of this verse involves two dynamics. The first one is responsible choices. Responsible choices. It means intentional scheduling. It means making sure that what you're doing, you're doing on purpose. In fact, uh, one of the nicest compliments that was ever paid to me over the years was by a man who said once, uh, Jeff, you never do anything except on purpose. Now that really resonated with me because I want to be known as a purposeful person. I want to do things on purpose. I want to do things with intentionality. So the first way to be a good steward of your time and to make the most of their time is to be is to make responsible choices. Now this means intentional scheduling. And I want to hasten to say uh, the second aspect of this, of the second dynamic of, of this is that it means making the most of your time not necessarily getting the most done. So responsible choices to secondarily Make the most of your time, not necessarily get the most done. Uh, You know, Jesus, for example, went on private retreats with his disciples 
um, and occasionally spent time away from everyone else just with them. Now, you might look at that and say, well, man, that's a waste of time. Jesus should have been out among the masses, touching as many people as possible, making as big a difference as possible. But Jesus knew that the way he was really going to make the difference in the long term in the world was by leaving behind some disciples who would carry on his work. And so making the most of time is not necessarily doing what seems urgent in the moment. It's what seems strategic for the long run. Jesus did things like went to parties. Jesus dealt with individuals. Jesus um, sometimes healed one person. Uh, Jesus had, all, had time for little children. Uh, Jesus is a model of the intentional use of time to accomplish his purposes, not just the efficiency of getting the most done in the moment. Now, God has assigned us the stewardship of time, meaning that he has given us this gift of time, and he wants us to use the time most effectively and most appropriately. That's why sometimes your best use of time is to sleep or to rest, or your best use of time is to take a long walk with your wife. Um, I would, I'll use the example in our lives of kayaking. Yes, kayaking. My wife loves kayaking. I don't mean the whitewater kind. I mean uh, leisurely stroking around on a lake or uh, in a calm river, uh, enjoying nature, seeing the birds, looking at the fish, breaking the water, uh, if discovering little nooks and crannies of the shorelines, um, looking at the flora and the fauna and all the things that go on around the lake, uh, seeing the people fishing or the children playing. My wife loves kayaking. Me, not so much. Uh, I can think of a lot of other ways that I would like to spend a leisurely afternoon. But I go kayaking. Why? Because part of my responsibility as a husband is to invest time in my wife, <clears throat> doing things that she enjoys, uh, spending time with her, uh, having conversation with her. Uh, these are the, th th this is part of what it means to work to live with your wife in an understanding way and to meet her emotional needs. So I go kayaking. And I do it with a good attitude. Uh, spending time with my wife is important to me, and so... That's a good stewardship of my time. So making the wise use of your time is not just getting the most done. It's making responsible choices to do what's strategic, to fulfill your responsibilities, and to make sure that you're making the most of your time, not just getting the most done. And then the last statement I would make about a theology of time is that God models a pattern of time use for his people. In Genesis 2-2, the Bible says, On the seventh day, God had completed his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. God established the pattern of Sabbath rest by modeling that for us in the creation story. But then in Exodus 20, God gives some specific instructions, starting in verse 8. He says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You are to labor six days and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You must not do any work, you, your son, or your daughter, your male or your female servant, your livestock, or the resident alien who's within your gates. For the Lord has made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and everything in them in six days. Then he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the seventh day and declared it holy. God worked six days and rested on the seventh day. And in doing so, God established a pattern of work and rest that he then advocated in the 
giving of the law, and then he has maintained in terms of describing the responsibility we have for rest, even continuing on into New Testament days. So this pattern of Sabbath rest is very important for leaders. Now you may be thinking, yeah, that's a pipe dream. Uh, ministry is a seven-day-a-week, 365-day-a-year uh, responsibility, and I don't think it's really practical to think about developing a habit of Sabbath rest. Well, I used to think that. Uh, I thought that when I first started out in ministry. I was a driven workaholic. I was working uh, long days. I was working every day. I was burning the candle at both ends in every way that could be uh, described. And our church was, was seeing some result from that that was positive. But my family life was suffering, my marriage was hurting, uh, my wife was uh, struggling, and it was not a good time in our lives. And my wife confronted me back in about 1985, in about the uh, fifth year of our marriage, about this pattern of my life. And so I made a decision, begrudgingly at first, but I made the decision that I was going to start taking one day a week off to pull back from my ministry responsibilities and to rest physically and to devote more time to my family and to my wife and children. Well, um, I remember when I made this decision that I was so insecure and I was so frustrated that I was doing it and I was, I was so fearful of how my church leaders were, would respond that I actually went to the, to the deacons meeting to explain this to my leaders uh, with some fear and trepidation. And I remember saying something like this, fellas, I've reached a place where I just can't go on like I'm going. Uh, I'm working too much, and I need to start taking one day a week off to spend time with my wife and family. And when I finished saying that, uh, one of the deacons said, well, I don't know why you think you only need one day a week off. Everybody in this room gets two days a week off. You ought to take two. And I, I was shocked by that response, and I said, well, no, I, I think one will, will be fine. And another deacon said, uh, we're glad you're telling us this. We wondered how long it was going to take you to come to your senses and quit working yourself into the ground like this. Well, I was surprised by their response. They wanted me to take even more time off, and they had seen the problem, but they recognized until I, recognized, until I saw the problem for myself, uh, there really wasn't anything they could do about it. And so when I did finally say to those men, I'm going to start taking one day a week off, they were very supportive. Now, how did that look in our early years? Well, in the early years when we had preschool children, we took um, Thursdays off every week. Now, this was back when I was in a traditional church that had a Sunday morning and a Sunday night and a Wednesday night service. And so after the Wednesday night service, um, I would go home and we would take off that, the rest of that evening and all of Thursday, and then I'd go back to work on Friday morning. Um, that worked well for us when we had small children, but by the time we moved to Oregon and planted the church, we, our children were getting a little older, so we, we switched the day to Fridays. And that meant that on Friday mornings and early afternoon, I was home and had time just with my wife. And then on Friday afternoons and evenings, when the children would come home, I'd have the afternoon and evening for uh, activities with them. Uh, then I moved to the seminary, and our children got a little older, and so we had to make another adjustment. And that was I, uh, I, took, I still took Fridays off, but, um, but I had to be flexible about that because in the seminary world and with the travel that I was asked to, expected to do, I had to start missing some Fridays to be away for weekends or conferences or events or denominational responsibilities. And so during that time, we had to start uh, the pattern of saying, well, what day this week will be our Sabbath day and taking a, a, another day of the week off when I was able to be gone or there on the weekends. So this, pro this process has had to be flexible over the years. Now it's just my wife and I, and we both have b very busy ministry schedules. And so we actually work together to make sure that we take 
the same day off as many weeks as possible during the year. Now, I want to be uh, very transparent about this. My wife and I probably get the same day off um, one day a week, about 40 to, say, 42 uh, weeks a year. There's probably 8 to 10 weeks a year where it just simply doesn't happen. Now, you might think, well, you're, you're not uh, being a good model, and you need to make sure that happens every week, and this needs to be 100% or, or not at all. And I would just say that's unrealistic. Uh, if you're able to get Sabbath rest 45 weeks out of 52 weeks a year, I think you should consider that to be really good. Uh, yeah, it would be great if you could make it happen perfectly every single week, but things happen. Uh, particularly things like deaths in church families or deaths in the seminary family. And occasionally there are simply incredibly difficult, uh, demanding weeks of ministry uh, where there's uh, just more to be done, and and you just simply have to say, this week we just have to work every day. Now, again, you can't use this as an excuse to say, well, we can't ever have Sabbath rest. I think you can say realistically that we're going to set a goal of 45 weeks a year that we have one day a week off that we pull away and focus on our relationships and just physically rest and really do things that re rejuvenate us. Um, we've been able to do this, and uh, it's made a huge difference in our marriage. It's made a huge difference with our children, with our family. Uh, it, it's just been significant on every level. Now, what does it mean to take a, a day of Sabbath rest? Well, it, it means that you set aside a day uh, and that it's a day without work. What I mean by that is a day, it's a day without advancing your own cause. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't do anything on that day. Some days on Sabbath rest day, we've uh, worked on our house together or we've gone shopping together or we've put some furniture together. Uh, we've uh, done something that would be a home-based project or something that would, we'd find invigorating or fun. Um, we've gone to an amusement park or out to a movie or, uh, or we've done something that might be perceived by others as active or like kayaking, but really that's not work. Even though it's physically somewhat demanding, it's really not work because it's rejuvenating to us. It's pulling away from our normal responsibilities of ministry and people and all the demands that go with those things, and it's focusing on what we can do together and with each other. Now, the Sabbath is a reminder of God's work as creator and God's sustainer, ability to, to sustain our work. You know, being able to take Sabbath rest is, is a time management problem on one hand, but on the other hand, um, it's a faith problem. The question is, do you believe that God can get more done through you in six days than you can do for him in seven days? And can you trust God that on the day that you're not there, quote, at work, that God has the capacity to supervise your work and to sustain your work even in your absence. So while Sabbath rest is a time management issue, it's really more of a faith issue. Do you believe that God can do more in six days than you can do in seven? Now, my wife has also introduced another pattern to our Sabbath, which has been very helpful. And that is uh, that we've started in latter, later years to try to follow more of a biblical pattern of or an Old Testament pattern, I should say, of the Sabbath beginning at sundown and lasting till sundown the next day. So we've found that if we can actually start our Sabbath with the evening meal on a particular day and carry it all the way through the next day, that it really makes it an even more restful experience. 
Uh, and being able to do that has, has also helped us on the, on, uh, to, uh, to lengthen the Sabbath a little bit and to, to make it uh, uh, a little less stressful going into it because we're not working up to the last minute the night before. We actually start calming things down around dinner time, and then as we move into the evening, we're relaxing, we get better sleep, we move into the next day, and it's a better Sabbath experience for us. So my wife now reminds me that we want Sabbath to go from at least sundown to sundown, if not from sundown one day to sunup, not the next day, but the following day. And in doing that, we found the time to be even more restful. Now, what I've described to you today is the theology of time. God invented time and called it good. God has established the times of our lives. God's plan for people includes appropriate timing And then God has assigned us the stewardship of time, meaning that we're supposed to make the most of time, not just get the most done. And then God models a pattern of time use for his people. He expects us to work, and I believe he expects us to work hard. I think we should take full responsibility for the tasks he's assigned us and give our whole heart to them on a daily basis. Six days a week, we give everything we have. But then on that seventh day, we pull back and refocus on God, our marriages, our children, and on recovering physically from the demands of ministry. Now, you can, do, uh, all of, you, you can do all of these things so you can apply this theology of time and allow it to change the perspective you have on time. Time is not your enemy. Time is good. Uh, the times you live in are not your enemy, are not evil. The times you live in are the best times that you could possibly be alive. And God wants you to learn how to use your time. Uh, to use your time wisely and well to accomplish his purposes because you're a steward of the time he's allowed you to have. And then to not uh, find yourself stressed or overburdened or, or harmed by how time is impacting you, but instead controlling your use of time in such a way that it includes hard work, but also uh, it includes rest. Now, today we've talked about a theology of time. Next week, I'm going to talk about the root causes of time mismanagement and then uh, maybe move quickly from those into some practical helps on how to get more done, how to use time more efficiently and effectively. Yes, we're eventually going to get to that, but quite honestly, until you establish a better theology of time and until you understand the root causes of time mismanagement and what's keeping you from being able to implement uh, the skills and techniques that I can teach you, uh, until you resolve these core issues, you're not really going to be a better manager of your time and be a better leader as a result. So rethink what it means to have a better theology of time. Uh, do some Bible study on your own about the issue of time and expand this brief theology that I've given you uh, to include a more fuller understanding of what time really is about and see if it doesn't change your perspective on time. God wants us to use our time well. He wants us to have a good understanding of a theology of time and then a good understanding of the root causes of time mismanagement. And then out of those understandings, we can make some better decisions about how to use our time. And when we do that, we'll be more effectively able to lead on.